0: WebAssembly allows for web-based execution of languages other than JavaScript. Programs written in Rust or C++ can be compiled down to WebAssembly and shipped over the browser for on-the-fly execution in a safe, memory-controlled environment. WebAssembly has been in development for more than two years, and it's still an immature ecosystem because building the necessary tooling for WebAssembly is hard. That said, it's very interesting, and we'll be doing many more WebAssembly shows in the near future. Much of the web has been built around JavaScript and the V8 JavaScript engine, which has been tuned to optimize an interpreted language, which is JavaScript. WebAssembly modules are often written in C++ or Rust, which are compiled languages. There are engineering challenges at the edges between this interpreted JavaScript runtime And the pre-compiled WebAssembly modules, that's definitely a reductive presentation of the difficulties in getting WebAssembly's ecosystem off the ground. There are many more interesting facets, and we'll go into those today. Till Schneiderite is a senior research engineering manager at Mozilla, and he joins the show to discuss the compilation path of WebAssembly and the state of the ecosystem. We have a new Software Daily app for iOS to become an ad-free listener and support the show. You can pay us with $10 a month or $100 a year and listen through the app or listen on softwaredaily.com. The app has been in the store for almost two years, I think, at this point, and we've been iterating on it. At this point, it's got a lot of polish, so the new version of the app is pretty polished and it does a lot for you even if you are not paying ten dollars a month or a hundred dollars a year you can download episodes you can search through all of our back catalog you can look at categories you can connect with other people in the community and discuss software engineering topics and I'd love to know what you think what you'd like to get out of this community-based platform for listening to our podcasts and reading our supporting material. You can go to softwaredaily.com. You can check out the app in the iTunes app store or just look in the show notes. We're booking sponsorships for 2019. If you're interested in sponsoring the show and airing some ads or working with us on some content, you can go to softwareengineeringdaily.com slash sponsor. And we're hiring two interns for software engineering and business development If you're interested in either of these positions, you can send me an email with your resume to jeff at softwareengineeringdaily.com with internship in the subject line. Let's get on to today's show. (music) Till Schneiderite, you work at Mozilla. Thanks for coming on Software Engineering Daily. Thank you for having me. I want to talk to you about WebAssembly in a variety of contexts. The project that eventually became WebAssembly was designed to allow C and C++ applications to run in the browser. Describe the first version of WebAssembly. <laughs>
1: so you're saying the project that eventually became WebAssembly. So really, we're are you asking about what really the first version of WebAssembly, or... The, the well, I, so
0: I, be, I believe there was some primordial soup that eventually turned into WebAssembly. It was things like Emscripten, and there were some some other things. I just want to understand the the early primitives that were developed that were just to run C and C++ in the browser before we get to talking about the modern context. Okay, that makes sense, yeah.
1: Um, so, well before... WebAssembly, there was Asm.js, but even, and I'll explain what that was in a moment or is, but even before Asm.js, there was just normal JavaScript. And an engineer at Mozilla identified the possibility of compiling C and C and other languages compiling to u- using the LLVM compiler toolchain to JavaScript by essentially So all these languages have in common that they use pointers and JavaScript doesn't have pointers. So instead, what this tool called mscripten did was to represent pointers as entries in an array. And this was just a normal JavaScript array, really just a a normal way where you could store everything in it. But the difference here was that instead of storing any arbitrary things like JavaScript objects in it, it stored only numbers. And by that, it treated that as if it were memory, linear memory that C and C++ applications can understand. And then there were a few other things that were needed to a sort of special case to, to really only use fairly small parts of JavaScript to make this work, essentially mostly math operations. And then a while later, I think in 2013 about, another engineer at Mozilla, Luke Wagner, identified that this subset of JavaScript, if the compiler, if the, the the JavaScript engine could identify this subset beforehand, before running code, then it could highly optimize that code. So, they built this prototype really quickly and then eventually in a, an amazingly short time, amount of time, really a full implementation that made it so that C and C++ code could run with something like 50% or so overhead over native in a browser unmodified or in an unmodified browser. And in Firefox, where we had this implementation, it went even faster than in other browsers because we had these specific optimizations. And that is what was called asm.js.
0: Can you describe the initial compilation path for a C or C++ module to run in the browser? Describe that initial compilation path in a little more detail. Essentially,
1: it took the LLVM compiler toolchain, which can compile by now a lot of different languages to first an internal bytecode, LLVM bitcode. And then another part of the compiler toolchain, the backend, um, takes that code and compiles it for different uh, CPU architectures. And essentially what MScripten does is Instead of going through uh, the the normal backends for CPUs um, such as Intel or AMD x86 CPUs or ARM CPUs, it implements its own backend for targeting the subset of JavaScript that I described. And really it uses math operations and indexing into this array the same way that normal backends use the built-in instructions a CPU has that assembly represents. And then it applied a lot of different um, optimizations and small tweaks essentially to the code because JavaScript turns out isn't actually a CPU and it behaves fairly differently in some ways. For example, it doesn't allow you to just freely jump in code. You can't say, after this instruction, execute... This other instruction that is entirely somewhere else in a code, which is a go to statement allows you to do that. JavaScript doesn't have it. So you can only use normal control flow structures such as while or if. And the instructions in the LLVM bitcode have to be converted into something that you can express in this. And that was one of the main ingredients of Emscripten, the so-called Looper, which identifies control flow that is in go-to statements and changes it into while loops and if loop statements.
0: What were the major lessons that came out of those early experiments? Well, one was Asm.js,
1: where really the, the realization was if the engine knows that only the subset is used, we can really optimize it. And then building on that, another realization was JavaScript wasn't the best vehicle for this. It's to to really get the overhead down, to get to fastest startup and fastest runtime performance, something else was needed. And that was how, why WebAssembly eventually happened. And I think one of the biggest achievements there was to get everything everyone on the table, at the table, I guess, to get all the different vendors working on browsers, to sit down and work together on identifying what is the best way to represent these applications in a way that integrates really well into JavaScript engines. And that's how, what WebAssembly resulted in.
0: How will WebAssembly change the browser experience? It'll make much more code reuse possible not
1: only of large existing applications such as AutoCAD, but also of existing libraries where it used to be that you could use the same code in an application compiled for Windows, Mac OS, Linux, but also Android and iOS, but not on the web. On the web, you had to implement the same functionality in JavaScript. And with WebAssembly, you can reuse the same code. So while mainly your application might still be in JavaScript, parts that you want to reuse might be would be in WebAssembly. And that in itself doesn't immediately change the experience, but I think it'll lead to richer applications because uh, there's just more budget available if you don't have to do a second implementation. And then there's the speed, of course. There are some things where JavaScript's just not the right language to, to use to implement some features, in particular when it comes to processing large amounts of data and being able to use other languages that are better suited for that, like C++ or Rust will mean that applications on the web can, in general, become much richer experiences.
0: The first thing you mentioned was code reuse. Describe in more detail what you mean by code reuse. In the development of native
1: applications, it's fairly normal to have a portable sort of back end almost of your application, but so it's a portable core backend, I guess it's confusing, a portable core of your application that is often written in C++ and that you can compile to all these different desktop and mobile platforms. And then you have front ends, user interfaces that are implemented specifically for each of these platforms and often in other languages. For Android, it would be Java or Kotlin. Uh, For iOS, it would be Objective-C or Swift and so on. And that is all code that you wouldn't reuse. That's also code you often wouldn't want to reuse because you want to have a UI that really fits well into the target system. But this core of your application, the business logic, if you will, that can be reused across all of these applications. And now with WebAssembly, we can make that possible for the web also. Where the user interface is implemented in a way that is native to the web using JavaScript, HTML, and CSS. And the business logic can be reused exactly the same way as on these other platforms.
0: After the experiment of getting C and C code to work in the browser, at least work to some extent, the, the scope of possibilities for what that early project was, whether you're talking about, I guess, ASM.JS is maybe what you would want to call that early project, uh, that early set of projects. But the potential was was massive, and it was clear. With all of that potential opportunity for getting this cross-platform, different language system for running in the web... How did the people working on WebAssembly decide what to do next? I mean, what, what happened after that experimental process? Did, did they start to flesh out a plan or start to flesh out a spec for what this project should encompass? Eventually, that is what happened.
1: But before getting to this, this place where a, an official plan and then eventually a spec was developed there were really a lot of informal conversations. So, and WebAssembly really started with conversations between key engineers uh, uh, working on uh, all the major browsers. And it wasn't only JS that had into the design. It was also on the Google side, there was the NACL team, Native Client, which was, Google's proposal for how to bring native code into the the web in a safe sandboxed way and the team working on that and our people working on asmjs and key engineers from uh, the other browser vendors worked together on saying uh, identifying what is the smallest piece we can build to make this really be viable. So the, what is the minimum viable product for bringing significant value to the web by bringing these other languages to it? So what what is WebAssembly the MVP? And then they started to formalize that to write up detailed plans and eventually a spec.
0: As we start to talk about the spec for WebAssembly, We need to explore some different areas. We need to explore compilation and package management and the interface between a WebAssembly module that you're getting from the internet and your lower-level kernel resources. There's a ton of ground to cover here. Speaking broadly... How should WebAssembly interface with the underlying host operating system?
1: That, of course, is uh, one of the key questions that we are encountering now. And really, the, the, the important development here is that WebAssembly is now reaching outside the browser. I think a lot of people don't know this, but... The people originally designing WebAssembly never meant it to only be used in on the web, and it is in fact carefully designed not to rely on anything that only a web browser would provide. It's not; it doesn't rely on JavaScript running next to it, for example. And we are now taking the um, first big steps towards standardizing what this will look like, what WebAssembly use outside of the browser will look like. And in fact, just uh, by now, about six weeks ago, released a blog post. So Lynn Clark wrote a post announcing the WASI system interface for WebAssembly. So WASI stands for WebAssembly System Interface. And that started a standardization process for what exactly this looks like. What does it look like for WebAssembly to not talk to JavaScript in the browser, but talk to the operating system and ultimately the kernel it is running on.
0: So I request code over the internet all the time. I am just browsing on the internet and I click to a new page and there's gonna be code that loads onto my browser. If we compare the request path that code is usually taking in my browser today from coming over the network to running on my operating system, how does that compare to what we will have with a a mature WebAssembly world?
1: I'm not sure if there is a single simple answer to this. Because WebAssembly will be used in a lot of different places. Oftentimes, it'll not actually run on your machine, but it might run on your behalf on other machines. It could run on an edge server like it does in the the, the Fastly CDN who recently started supporting running WebAssembly on, on their edge servers where it allows developers of... Um, internet services to provide richer experiences for you by making these edge uh, requests more dynamic. Or it might run in an IoT device, where it might also provide richer interactions with the device. And uh, but it might also run on your machine and be, for example, a command line interface tool, or Eventually, a full desktop application. And all of these different paths and quite a few more that will eventually emerge already have different answers to your question. I think for the command line interface, it's perhaps easiest to, to immediately answer that. So we believe that one thing is really important that we keep the security guarantees that WebAssembly has alive while bringing it outside the browser. And that involves not giving these applications running in WebAssembly just full access to your operating system. I'm sure you've heard about these issues with, for example, modules on um, uh, npm.js, npmjs.com, sorry, being modified in malicious ways and stealing people's Bitcoin wallets. And these kinds of things are very hard to secure against if every application by default just has access to all of your files. So the the WASI system interface is designed in a way where a module or an application written in for WASI has to announce beforehand, I need access to these resources and nothing more. And then the runtime enforces that it only gets access to exactly these things and cannot possibly access anything else. And so if something says, I need to be able to do something to files in this specific directory but, and write into that directory, but nothing else, then you can safely execute it as long as you know whatever that application will do in that directory, that is fine. But it can't go to somewhere else on your hard drive and steal your Bitcoin wallet. So the process of downloading things is, there are very interesting questions to answer here. And we believe package management is an important um, part of this story indeed, but ultimately you shouldn't need to worry too much about where something is coming from because you should be able to just say, "It's, it's fine wherever it might come from, because it cannot harm me in ways that I can't know beforehand. And this mm-hmm. is really like being able to click on a link in a website. You don't need to know beforehand what exactly that website might be because you know that it can't go and read ArbitrGradWay files on your machine or install viruses.
0: WebAssembly code could be compiled before it lands on my machine. It could be compiled after it lands on my machine. You could have some kind of streaming compilation system. You could do half compilation before, half after. How should compilation work in the WebAssembly context? That actually does
1: tie closely into these trust um, relationship questions I just described. If you do not trust the source you're getting your code from, which actually should be the case most of the time, then you really want to have the compilation happen on your machine. So the compilation here being taking the WebAssembly code and turning it into something that your CPU can understand. Because otherwise, you lose the security guarantees. You have to trust that whoever compiled it actually did it in a way that still makes it safe and that's one part the other part is if it's compiled before landing on your machine then it's not portable anymore so you whoever sends it to you needs to know exactly what your machine looks like what cpu it has and to some extent uh, also what operating system you're running and in most cases that won't be the case but if, for example, you are in control of a fleet of devices, be it IoT devices, or you're the administrator for a company intranet, or you have edge servers, then you can do the compilation in a centralized way and just send the the compiled results to all these machines that you can you control and that implicitly have to trust you, anyways.
0: How should caching of code work? Or how does caching change with the world of WebAssembly? Yeah, that's
1: that's a really interesting question. This is something where in the browser WebAssembly actually has big advantages, but also outside the browser. WebAssembly can be compiled ahead of time, as you just pointed out but that means it can also happen, the compilation can happen while it is downloading. And then as soon as it has finished downloading the compiled result or shortly thereafter, the compiled result is there and can be stored in the cache. And the next time you're uh, using the same content, not only does the file not have to be downloaded, like for a JavaScript file, it also doesn't need to be compiled. and This is not true for JavaScript because for JavaScript to reach high performance, compilation depends on the engine observing the runtime behavior because JavaScript is very dynamic and the compiler needs to know how it actually is behaving at runtime to be able to compile it to highly efficient code. And for WebAssembly, all of this can happen ahead of time. So the the compiled results can be cached. And that is also true for outside the browser use cases where you might uh, compile an application when you're installing it. And then from then on, you just start it as if it were a normal native application.
0: I'd like to go deeper into the security discussion. How does the security model of WebAssembly Present a more, or I guess, could you just describe the security properties of the WebAssembly compilation and runtime path? Sure. So, by default,
1: WebAssembly, code running in WebAssembly, cannot interact with the outside world. Literally, the only thing it can do by default is create heat by using your CPU time. And everything every way for it to interact with the outside world has to be made available by providing a function for the WebAssembly code to call. In websites, that means when creating the WebAssembly module or when when instantiating the WebAssembly module in a website, you pass in JavaScript functions that the WebAssembly module can call. And what it can do, that's for you to define by, providing exactly a selected set of JavaScript and functions to call. Outside the browser, we're essentially pursuing the same approach where an application has to request, I want to be able to open files. And then the environment it is running in has to decide whether it's fine for that application to be able to open files. And if so, a function is passed in that is similar to a syscall in an operating system kernel but in this case a WebAssembly imported function and that allows you to open files but that is fine for users in the browser outside the browser it's not quite enough because at least in a standardized way in the browser you can have a javascript function that allows accesses to very specific pieces of data just because that's how you wrote the function. But we don't want you to need to write every way to open a file from scratch every time you're using a WebAssembly module. We want to have something standardized that just allows you to open a file and read data from it. But if we were to just allow you full access to the hard drive, then we are back essentially to the same security issues that other group um, applications have because opening a file is something you're almost guaranteed to need. So with Wazzy, we go a step further. We only allow you access to a specific set of files that you have to request beforehand, like access to a specific directory or even only specific files. And everything else, if you try to open it, uh, open up the files, it'll just fail. And by that, we are really preserving this property that by default, the application just can't do anything. And it wants to do, it needs to let you know about, and you need to be able to say, oh, am I actually okay with this application being able to do this?
0: Our web applications have, lots of small modules that we are using, importing, creating. Describe how small modules get used in modern web applications and and how WebAssembly might change our usage of small modules. So small modules are actually a big focus
1: for us and at Mozilla working on uh, WebAssembly tools. We are building the Rust to WebAssembly toolchain and that is very much focused on making it possible to uh, build small dedicated modules that integrate nicely with an application that is otherwise written in other languages such as JavaScript. and We are working on making that as seamless as possible so that you can really focus on the languages you're using instead of on the configuration and integration issues between those languages. We are making it so that this is as seamless as possible. And one big factor there is WebAssembly functions can only be called passing in numbers and returning a single number. Soon it'll be multiple numbers that can be returned, but ultimately it's still for now all just numbers. And that makes it somewhat painful to upgrade with. So so you can not pass a string, for example, and what if you want to have a module that uh, allows you to process strings, you wouldn't want to call into and out of these modules very often. So the small module use case really doesn't work all that fantastically well with just these interfaces. So a big part of our tool chain there is a tool called wasm-bindgen, which allows you to in, in for now Rust code say, I want to export this function that takes complex data types such as structs, so objects with properties on them and returns say a string. And all that complexity of serializing these data types into numbers, and then also deserializing a string ultimately as to return value from numbers. We cover all of that and make it, so the a BindGen generates bindings code, glue code in JavaScript to hide all of this complexity so that you as a developer can focus on writing idiomatic quest code to implement the functionality and idiomatic JavaScript code to use that
0: module. If I'm adding a module to my application today, I'm often using NPM, the, the Node Package Manager. How does that import process or the package management process change in the WebAssembly world? That
1: really depends on the language you're using. And for many languages, I think the answer is currently as the author of a module, you have to bundle it up in the right format, write a package.json file and upload it to NPM for the REST2WebAssembly to toolchain, we built this tool called WasmPack that takes care of all of these steps for you. So it takes the uh, output that the WasmBindGen script uh, script created. In fact, it even invokes WasmBindGen uh, and the REST compiler in all the right way and creates something that also has a package.json file and that is ready for uploading to NPM. And then it even... A- acts as an NPM client. So it allows you to authenticate with the npmjs.com server with your user account there and upload your package there. So it's really a seamless process from compiling your code to uploading it. I've seen people do this in tutorial sessions going from having no um, knowledge of this toolchain to uploading their first package within 20 minutes or so.
0: I'd like to revisit the lower level part of this conversation. Our WebAssembly applications are interfacing with lower level host operating system resources. There is this project, the WebAssembly system interface. Tell me more about that interface.
1: So this interface uses this security model I described earlier, where an application really needs to be explicit about what kinds of resources it needs access to. And that is one of the the, the most important features of it. But it is also at the same time really quite low level, as you say. So it's in many ways modeled on the POSIX interface, the Portable Operating System Interface for Unix, which is an old standard for what um, system interfaces look like. And it allows you to open files, read from them, write to them, open sockets and all of these things. And we are implementing Many of the same features, but with this always with this security in mind. And one other important aspect here is that we are building all this in a modular way. So there will be a, a, the so-called WASI core, which will have a small, fairly small set of features in it for doing the most crucial operations, but. If that were all that WASI brings, then maybe it might not actually take us that much time to define it. Because if you have access to files and say to network sockets, you do not need that many more features to say, okay, everything else we can now do by layering protocols on top of these features. Instead, we want to reduce a lot of this complexity by adding, more additional modules to WAZI that allow you to do different, more complex things. And one important aspect um, of that is asynchronous I.O., where the design space is really quite complicated and doing it in efficient ways is um, something where in efficient and portable ways across operating systems is something that it'll take us a while to figure out. it's something where we we know that we can't move the complexity of sorting this out into the applications. You can think we always build an asynchronous interface in terms of a synchronous one, but it won't will never be as efficient and it'll bring a lot of complexity with it. So that'll be an important module to develop. And then we're thinking about a good number of other modules to to define over time. And really, our work will not be concluded for quite some time.
0: Another question about the POSIX standard to to help clarify my understanding of the analogy between POSIX and uh, WebAssembly system interface. So correct me where I'm wrong. So I think the POSIX standard is useful because you have, for example, a browser, a web browser, will run on, like my Chrome browser runs on my Mac OS. I also have a a Chrome browser on my mobile phone. There's a Chrome browser on a Linux machine that I have. And when the browser makes a request to open a file, for example, or open a folder, because a browser has to do that, a browser interfaces with the lower-level file system, those calls are made in a POSIX standards-compliant request language. And the reason that's useful is because it allows the person who is writing the browser to just think in terms of these abstractions, like I'm opening a file or I'm opening a folder, and it allows a decoupling of the browser developer and the underlying operating system developer, so that if I develop the process of opening a file for my browser, you know, I just I just call out to opening a file, and then the underlying operating system takes care of that. You know, Mac OS will implement under opening a file in one way, and Chrome operating system implements it another way, and Linux implements that another way. They have, there's freedom in the implementation of the underlying POSIX implementation. First of all, is there anything you want to add to that description of the POSIX standard? I think that actually covers it pretty well, so no. Okay, so help draw the analogy between that POSIX standard and what WebAssembly seeks to do with the WebAssembly system interface.
1: On the level you just described, the goals are very similar. With the addition that we really aim for full... Independence from operating systems after having compiled things. So POSIX allows you to have a portable code, but an application that you compiled to for Linux won't run on macOS, and even if the source code is fully portable. And even if the, the, the POSIX calls you're using are all the same, there are still that there are differences in how applications work, how how the startup sequence for applications work works and a number of uh, other important aspects where there are just incompatibilities. And WASI needs to work the same everywhere. And that includes in the browser, for example. And there are by now at least five or six different implementations of the core of WASI that we so far have defined. And they all work very differently. So I think we have proven this out quite well that we can design this interface in a highly portable way.
0: You work at Mozilla. The skills of a WebAssembly engineer are in high demand. What is it about Mozilla that keeps you there?
1: <laughs> I believe that there is no better place to, to, to advance these technologies we are working on than Mozilla and to make that make sense. I a lot of what we're doing around WAZI is about uh, ultimately protecting users. It's you, you shouldn't risk having your personal data be stolen from your hard drive by running some arbitrary application. And you should be able to have your experiences be, be richer and be more tailored to your needs by having dynamic content run for you in all kinds of different places. And to realize that we have to build a significant ecosystem and we need to form partnerships with many different uh, actors in this space. And working for Mozilla makes that possible in a way that I have a hard time imagining working somewhere else. And it allows us really to be decoupled from having to... Provide, for example, value to shareholders or or early investors in a very quick manner. We we can take some time to build a to build better foundations and really build something that can last and that can be stable.
0: You are a senior research engineering director of developer technologies at Mozilla, and a lot of your focus is on WebAssembly today. I read an article that you wrote with Lynn Clark and somebody I think there was a third person on that. Um, Luke
1: Wagner, yes.
0: Yes. It was a great article. It was descriptive of what is going on in WebAssembly, how much work has been done, and how much work there remains to do. You've got so much that needs to be done. There's things that need to be done in the browser. You've got uh, this compilation path. You've got this runtime environment. You've got applications ranging from small modules to uh, gigantic applications like Photoshop. There's so many edge cases and, and hard, honestly, for me hard concepts to understand. These things like streaming compilation, for example, or or multi-threading and what multi-threading means for the world of WebAssembly. So with all of these different things to be working on, not to mention, by the way, all of these different players. You've got established players like Google and Mozilla, newer players like Fastly. Everybody's got their own incentives, but it seems like it's a pretty positive sum ecosystem at this point, which is fantastic. But with all of this different surface area to cover, how do you set priorities?
1: That really is a good question. And we are constantly evaluating our priorities and we are making sure that we are not spreading ourselves too thin. And as you say, this is a pretty positive sum a game for pretty much everyone um, or almost everyone at this point, and that's truly fantastic to see. For example, we have really excellent relationships with the WebAssembly people at Google who are, for the most part, focusing on fairly different use cases from us and where we constantly can can take inspiration from each other, but also can move the ecosystem overall forward quicker by focusing on different use cases than we could if we were focusing on fiercely competing on exactly the same things. And you're right, we, we do need to focus on specific use cases. And I think we, have a fairly nice focus by now at Mozilla in the same way that as far as I understand it, the folks at Google have a really good focus that is somewhat different. And one thing that is just entirely clear in this is all of this is too big to go it alone. So we need good relationships. We need good partnerships with a lot of different players around all of these different concepts and all of these different pieces that need to be moved into place.
0: How will WebAssembly change cloud providers? Significantly.
1: So I'm deeply, deeply impressed by what Fastly are doing, who have brought WebAssembly to their CDN to make it possible to bring dynamic code execution of untrusted code their customers provide to their fleet of cloud servers or of of edge compute servers without having to significantly increase the, the, the power of these machines. And if Fastly, we're using more heavyweight, more traditional solutions such as containers. They would need to install much more powerful machines in place of what they have now. With WebAssembly, they can run tens of thousands of instances of the client code at the same time on the same machine. That is really, really unparalleled. And WebAssembly really allows them to significantly increase how powerful their CDN offering is. And it also begins to blur the lines between what is a CDN and what's a, a cloud provider. And I think ultimately the differences will shrink to how close are you to the edge? Are you? in a data center somewhere where you might have, I don't know, half a dozen data centers across the world, or are you almost in the cell phone tower, perhaps even in the cell phone tower? And I think cloud providers and CDNs will, it'll be more and more of a spectrum with CDNs being the ones who are closer to your cell phone tower.
0: How will WebAssembly change the lives of software developers? Well, hopefully for the better, and
1: I believe for the better. I so, so one aspect that we haven't touched on yet that I think for web for, for for software developers will be quite significant is a different kind of portability, and that is tooling portability—the ability to use the same standard toolchain for targeting all of these different platforms. Ideally, an unmodified Rust compiler or an unmodified C, C++ compiler, just targeting WebAssembly, WASI as the, the target and then also being able to use your established debugging tools, such as LLDB, instead of having to go for all kinds of different tool chains for, say, IoT devices, which are notorious for having... Sort of esoteric tool chains where you might need to install quite a few of them depending on what devices you're developing for. And I think being able to just use, well, off the shelf tools for your development instead of having to learn all these quirky, different tools will be a significant benefit to developers.
0: Till, I want to thank you for coming on Software Engineering Daily. It's been really fun talking to you. Thank you
1: for having me, it's really been a pleasure. Wow!